Welcome to the Nonprofit Newsfeed, nonprofitnewsfeed.com, bringing you the best news from the best sector, news from a nonprofit perspective and what matters. This show brought to you by Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Nonprofit News Feed, of course, brought to you by Whole Whale. My name is George Weiner. I'm the Chief Whaler, and I have Nick Azule, who helps, obviously, not just put together the news, but do amazing digital work at Whole Whale. How's it going, Nick? It's going great, George. We're enjoying our second to last week of January, moving into spring, ready for spring after some cold days here in New York. But our first story that I want to bring up is we wrote about a title article called Pivot or Ploy. Is CZI, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, Science Shift a Sound Strategy or Just Chasing Shiny Objects? So recent reporting about the change at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative underscores the potential pitfalls of billionaire-led philanthropy. So CZI announced uh, shift in focus away from education and community-focused initiatives, um, even though they're still doing them, to science and technology initiatives, as reported by Entrepreneur and others. The new COO emphasized a, quote, once-in-a-century opportunity to advance science in a way that can change health and medicine for years to come. Um, of course, this news may come as a disappointment to staff who joined CZI to work on issues like education. Um, but actually, after we released this newsletter, we got some editorial for feedback for people who have a little bit more knowledge than me. We might have adding the point that in some ways this could potentially actually be a, a good thing. Education work is hard. And this person seems to think that streamlining and focusing on what CZI knows best might actually be sound strategy in the long term. So George, but this comes in a conversation where we're thinking about the influence of billionaires and people high net, high net wealth, wealth individuals, you have kind of pretty supreme influence over the philanthropic center. We talked about last year, Soros. Soros's Open Society Foundations. Um, Soros's son has taken over the Open Society Foundations. There's lots of fear about layoffs and downsizing of programs, both among internal Open Society staff as well as grantees. So, George, what do we make of this trend or essentially just the, the, the influence of high net wealth philanthropists in the day-to-day -day operations of some of these NGOs? Yeah, I hear the, you know, focus on what you're good at, but let's, you know, be clear that for a number of years, uh, you know, we can look back into like 2018 where the CZI basically made over a hundred million in grants to education and like, you know, over 56 million, I think, in just in, in Newark area schools and then attracted that type of thinking, that type of infrastructure, that type of stuff, that type of expectation from people seeking those grants, right? You created this entire engine in a certain direction. And yes, in isolation, by all means, double down on what you're good at. In isolation, though, is not where we live. We live in a world where, like, let's just look back at the past year. Just last week, we were talking about Schmidt Futures changing their, you know, massive direction with employees quoted in Forbes saying, it feels like the company is entirely subject to Eric and Wendy's whims of where they want to deploy their money. Also recently, we had George Soros' son last year uh, making making waves about steep layoffs over at the Open Society Foundation and shifting, you know, how it may be interacting with many small human rights NGOs around the world. And so, you know, in 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 total, I think 
there is a bit of maybe a shiny object syndrome in general for foundations, large foundations led by billionaires that will inevitably sort of shift and unfortunately completely change their direction. Why is that a problem? Well, let's say I wanted to sail my boat from uh, one side of the ocean to the other. But halfway through, instead of making my way across the Atlantic Ocean, I decided to, I don't know, take a detour and start going toward the Bahamas. Or maybe I'll take a detour north. And then I come back around and realize, oh, wait, the prevailing wind is pushing me back to shore because there's more opportunity this way. In the end, all you've done is circle your boat in the ocean. Change takes time. Nonprofits are working on decades, centuries long problems. You need to chart a firm course and keep to it over time, regardless of prevailing winds and the wonderful opportunities that AI, or if we throw back the once in a generation opportunity to use blockchain, or 10 years ago, the once in a generation opportunity to use the internet. I get it, but keep sailing straight. Like just keep the North Star. And I think when you have massive shifts like this, you just cause undue stress on the industry and promote the shiny object syndrome of philanthropy. Point well taken. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. We'll, of course, follow what CZI is up to. We'll follow the Open Society Foundations. And, and George, from, from my expertise, when I focus on, on human rights and NGOs, the Open Society Foundations is one of the most important foundations in the world for human rights work. So many small NGOs get support from them, and small grassroots human rights organizations are some of the most important organizations the world has, and open society has been a lifeline for them. So it's really hard to overstate the importance of organizations like open society, not just within the organization itself, but within an entire ecosystem of, of NGOs. So just wanted to underline that as well. All right. Well, I can take us into our next story, George. This one comes from The Guardian, and the title is The EU Bans Misleading Environmental Claims That Rely on Offsetting. What do we mean by that? So the EU, the EU, the European Union, has banned misleading environmental claims that rely on offsetting, requiring products and services to provide proof of their environmental benefits. The new directive approved by EU lawmakers mandates the use of approved certification schemes for sustainability labels and prohibits the use of carbon offsetting schemes as evidence. This legislation aims to prevent greenwashing and enable consumers to make informed choices about their purchases. George. Pause. What is greenwashing? Oh, what is greenwashing? It is the critique of companies that will buy a whole bunch of ads to talk about a very, very small program that they're running that maybe promotes environmental best practices or sustainability. Ironically, if you look at the budget associated with promoting the good works they do, more times than not, the ad budget exceeds the amount invested in the actual program. And so this idea of greenwashing, I, I think, is something that the EU is caught on to. And I think there is a lot to be done with the labels, right? That consumer packaged goods and you know B2C, business to consumer organizations, use to basically give the veil of sustainability, of doing the right thing. And it has to be cracked down on for sure. And I, what I'm hoping, and I put this in here, is it's like, pay attention to these labels because there are a lot of labels that don't mean anything, but seem to say like organic, you know, 
a little bit around a decade ago, there was controversy around Energy Star, right? Which, yes, is a government rated thing, but also there was essentially just like a checklist that people were just kind of going through and be like, look, we're Energy Star. And like, oh, good. That means we're what? Energy. If What does that actually mean for the consumer? And the rise of ESG stocks that uh, and bucket and buckets of equities, which would happily have you drilling oil because it's ESG rated. And you're like, well, wait a minute. How is that helping the environment? Like, well, we came up with a dynamic rating system that lets us, you know, move, move, uh, move points around. And you're like, hmm, greater scrutiny on labels for transparency will help consumers make decisions that are aligned with their beliefs. Yeah, George, I agree with that. Also, it seems that the legislation is particularly targeting carbon offsetting. And that is the idea mm. that if you do XYZ bad thing to the environment, you can plant XYZ number of trees and you've, you're have you net neutral. And just mm. a couple of weeks ago, we heard about the guy who planted a million trees saying, actually, we need more sustainable solutions other than planting trees. So yeah, we're not planting our way out of the problem. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Trees can do but so much for us. All right, George, this one comes uh, from the New York Post, which you're, you're a New Yorker is funny to you. And this is NYC and a nonprofit team team up to wipe $2 billion in medical debt from 500,000 New Yorkers in, quote, life-changing move. Again, $2 billion in medical debt from 500,000 New Yorkers. So this one comes from a longtime favorite organization of yours, George. I know you're very passionate about it. RIP Medical Debt, which have wiped out $2 billion in medical debt for half a million New York residents, providing relief with those with medical debt that is 5% or more of their annual household income. And the city will invest $18 million in the next three years to work with the New York-based nonprofit, making it the largest municipal initiative of its kind. The program is set to start in early 2024 and will run for three years with no application process required for eligible residents. George, we've talked about the almost magic of this organization, RIP Medical Debt, um, the process of buying up uh, people's medical debt, which they can do with insane efficiency, um, helping people out of one of the most tragic problems we face um, in American political and social life, uh, which is indebtedness due to medical reasons. George, what's your take on this? I absolutely love this, you know, tri-sector solution. As a reminder, RIP Medical Debt is not just sort of like sending out checks. Now, I don't know the nuance of this particular program, but the way that they have traditionally operated is by jumping into the secondary market and buying up this sort of distressed debt that, you know, would otherwise get picked up for, you know, pennies on the dollar by predatory groups that would then push, force, and harm folks that are unable to pay for medical debt, which is the number one reason in our country for declaring bankruptcy, for then going into a terrible credit slide, losing your home, and the things that precipitate from that. I would be hard-pressed to find a smarter way of deploying capital in a city for helping at people on the bubble, I'll say, for people on the bubble living paycheck to paycheck than this type of solution. Because the way they traditionally have operated is when you do that, you are like 10xing, 100xing, depending on the price you get on that debt for just wiping it out. Because you're buying this wholesale for people that have fallen into this level of collection, secondary market for debt. Absolutely brilliant. I hope it expands. I hope other cities take note and be like, wait a minute, like, why don't we 10x our support for people that are at the most risk in our city from a broken medical system? And yes, until we can fix that 
hornet's nest. This is an amazing gap, I think, that can live in the middle. George, I absolutely agree with you. It's it's incredible stuff. And what you highlighted is that 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 interdisciplinary po- cooperation between public, private, nonprofit sectors. Yes. There's a lot of yes. sectors here, multi-stakeholder tackling of the problem, which is for many problems absolutely vital. So we'd love to see it. George, this might be a rare positive episode because after this, I can take us right to our feel-good story. Great. <laughs> This one comes from WNEM in Michigan, and it is about a non-helping homeless with, quote, snuggle sacks. So this Michigan nonprofit organization provides the sacks that contain essential items such as clothing, toiletries, and snacks, offering comfort and support to those in need. The nonprofit's efforts aim to alleviate the challenges faced by homeless people and raise awareness about their struggles. George, winter is particularly a, a, a dangerous time for folks who are homeless. It was dangerously cold in New York. I know I saw homeless outreach out in the streets in the city this weekend, working with folks, helping, helping make sure they're safe. Homeless individuals are among the most vulnerable people in our communities and society. So you love to see a nonprofit reaching out with just some basic supplies. Yeah, I, I like the, the the focus on what's needed and you know bringing uh, attention and care there. Great story. I will quickly make a shout out to nonprofitist. So nonprofitists recently went through and did a consultant outlook for 2024. They asked the entire network of over 350 consultants what they thought about, let's say, price increases, AI, how they were growing their business. Interestingly enough, and we shared this in the newsletter, on average, we got a score from one being not going to raise prices to 10 going to raise prices. Uh, 6.4 was the average likelihood for folks raising prices over were basically saying that they were probably going to need to raise prices in 2024 as small independent consultants in the nonprofit sector. If you want more resources like this from nonprofits, I encourage you to check them out. All right, Nick, I do have a question for you because of course I have a question for you. Are, are you are you prepared? I'm I'm ready. I was born ready. All right. So wait a minute, why are nonprofit elevator pitches so hard to craft? Ooh, why are nonprofit elevator pitches so hard to craft? They have to work on a lot of levels. I see. I see what you, you know, did there. Elevators go up and down. I yeah. think dad jokes are better when you explain them. <laughs> <laughs> they, All right. They age like fine wine. <laughs> Do they though? All right, Nick. Thanks, and I'll see you next week. See you, George. This has been the Nonprofit News Feed Summary of the Week. Thanks for joining us. As always, you can find resources at nonprofitnewsfeed.com. And don't forget to sign up for our weekly email summaries of the best news from the best sector.